For our sermon this morning, we're going to focus our attention on two sections of God's Word. The first one is going to come from 1 Corinthians, and the second one is going to come from John chapter 18. If you have a sermon guide in front of you, a sheet of paper, you can flip it over on the back. Both of our sermon lessons are listed there. We'll begin by reading the first sermon lesson from 2 Corinthians, excuse me, and our lesson from John will come up throughout the sermon. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is talking to a church in Corinth, and he's telling them about how serious he was about visiting them. He says, Yes, I definitely wanted to come you and I'm not come visit you and I'm not double-minded. My yeses are yes and my noes are noes. And then to illustrate just how serious he was about loving them and wanting to come visit them, he gave an illustration about how all of God's promises are already a yes in Jesus Christ. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll begin reading at verse 15 through 22. Because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you spend, send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen spoken by us to the glory of God. Now, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. This is the word of our God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the past couple months, Courtney had seen more heartbreak than many people do in an entire lifetime. Courtney had watched as her mother struggled to fight cancer and ultimately lost. Courtney saw, till death do us part, love as her father stood next to her mother throughout the entire experience and now was standing by himself. As for her, she was a freshman in college. She went off to college and in the very first semester that she was at college, the same boyfriend that she had been dating for two years, who stood by her through the ordeal with her mother, who was there at her mother's funeral, on whose shoulder she cried, broke up with her. And if that and all that comes with being a freshman in college for the first time weren't enough this weekend, well, Courtney's very best friend was hospitalized due to the, the disease of anorexia. After Courtney visited her friend in the hospital, she drove back home. 
She drove back home to a place that was increasingly feeling less and less like a home. And then something happened. Something happened that if you asked her about it now, looking back, Courtney would say, I didn't think I was capable of that. If you knew her, you looked at her, say, man, I, I wouldn't think you're capable of that either. But the truth is we're, we're all capable of doing what Courtney did. And in fact, I bet some of you have been there before. As Courtney drove home by herself down a very familiar stretch of highway with nobody else in the car, Courtney let out a scream. It was a scream not of panic. It was a scream not of terror. And though it was a spontaneous scream, it was a calculated scream because it was aimed, it was directed at the only one who could hear that scream. Her father who art in heaven. Yet even though this was a scream and it wasn't put together with pretty sounding words, even though her hands weren't folded, but instead were beating on the steering wheel, and even though her eyes were filling with tears and they weren't closed, make no mistake about it, this prayer, this scream, was a prayer. It was a passionate prayer. It was a prayer of passion to her Father who art in heaven. And if her thoughts in that moment could be transcribed on paper into what her prayer actually was, it could be summarized in one very simple question. God, where are you? Where are you? And not in the sense where I don't know where God lives, not in the sense where I don't know where he exists, but in the sense of prayer. God, where are your answers to my prayers? I have been praying for my mother. I have been praying for the relationships in my life for several months now. Where are your answers? I know about you, but Courtney, I got you. I've been there before. I've been before the throne of God. I've been before the throne of God for months and months and months and up to years asking God for the same things in my life. Sometimes I'm standing there going, God, I don't know where to find the answers. Have you ever asked yourself that? Where are you, God? And not in the sense of I don't know where God is, But in the sense of prayer, where are the answers to my prayers? God, where are you? I have been looking for the purpose, the direction for my life. And by this stage in my life, I thought you'd give me the answer. Where can I find it? God, where are you? I've been trying to fix this broken relationship. And where's your healing? At least, God, where is some closure to this? God, where are you? I am juggling this thing called life, this thing called adulting. I've been juggling all the balls of family and work and socialize and friends and all the responsibilities I have to do. Where are you? Because I feel like I'm going to drop one and my life's going to fall apart. God, where are you? We're in the second week of our sermon series called A Prayer of Passion, where we are looking at the prayer our Savior taught us. The Lord's Prayer. 
What we've been looking at in this is, is several questions about prayer. Let me take you back just a week ago. We answered two questions. We said, why is it that we can pray in the first place? Well, we can pray because there is a Savior in heaven. His name is Jesus, and he's broken down the barrier between us and God. And that answers the second question, to whom can we pray? We pray to God, but God is not up in heaven making demands or someone up there to whom we negotiate with. No, when Jesus said, pray this way, pray our Father who art in heaven, he said, you pray to your ideal dad. Not to a father, not to the father. He's yours. You get to pray to your father. And where we're at now is in the second week. And now for the next four weeks, we're going to answer the question, what is it we're praying for in the Lord's prayer? What exactly are we praying for here when we say, your kingdom come? And as we wrestle with what these three simple words mean, what we ask for when we pray these words is what we're going to find out is that in the Lord's Prayer, God didn't just give us merely what words to say. He didn't just tell us how we are to pray, but he told us a whole lot more about prayer. He told us so much about prayer. In fact, he told us where we go to find all our answers in prayer, where he answers our prayer. It's wrapped up in these words. We're going to be unpacking this idea of what we're asking for, what we're praying when we say, your kingdom come. But to do that, we should probably start with an understanding of what the kingdom of God is. We're going to take a look at a pretty famous, pretty well-known section of scripture that comes from John chapter 18. So if you want to look at it in your Bibles or flip your sheets and, and look at our gospel lesson, our sermon lesson for this morning, I want to focus your attention there. But first, I got to prepare you. For the next few minutes, you're going to be here. You're going to be listening to this sermon, hopefully, and one of two things are going to happen. As we unpack what the kingdom of God is and what it means and what you're asking for? Well, either this is going to be one of the most disappointing sermons you've ever heard in your life and you're going to walk away from here feeling disappointed about what just occurred, about the Lord's Prayer and maybe even this whole church in general. Or this is going to be one of the most transformative sermons in your life. And it's going to change the way you think about prayer and quite possibly change the way you think about life forever. So with that, let's look at John chapter 18. Once I heard that you should um, under-promise and over-deliver, but I never really understood what that meant. So John chapter 18, we're going to start reading at verse 33. Jesus is on trial the hours before his crucifixion and the Jewish leaders take Jesus to Pilate. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. 
If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the very reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, Pilate went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. This is the gospel of our Lord. Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? To which Jesus replied, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. Oh, make no mistake about it. Jesus is a king. But he makes it very clear, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom does not originate within this physical realm. It doesn't come from this cosmos. My kingdom isn't from here. He said, in other words, my kingdom is out of this world. Jesus said, my kingdom doesn't deal with the things of this world. It doesn't deal with the power concepts of this world. If it did, my people would fight for me right now. But as it is, my kingdom is out of this world. But catch what else Jesus said. After he said, my kingdom is from another place, Pilate says, you are a king then. And so Jesus answered him. He said, you say that I am a king. In fact, the very reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. You know what Jesus is saying here? He is saying, you said it, I'm a king. But since my kingdom is not from this world, since my kingdom is out of this world, let me tell you a thing about my kingdom. My kingdom is about the truth. My kingdom is about the gospel truth. My kingdom is about me. My kingdom is about me standing before you, about to die for the salvation of the world. And I came to establish my kingdom. I came to be about the truth. What Jesus is saying is that my kingdom deals with one thing and one thing alone, and that is to testify, to proclaim the gospel truth. And everyone on the side of truth, everyone who hears the gospel, everyone who believes the gospel, they're in my kingdom. They're my people. What's the kingdom of God about? In short, it's this. It is God proclaiming the gospel and through the gospel, saving people. What is the gospel? It is nothing other than Jesus. The good news about Jesus Christ and Christ living for you, Christ dying for you so that you can be with him forever in heaven. That's what the gospel is about. The kingdom of God is out of this world. The kingdom of God is this. It's God proclaiming the gospel and saving people through the gospel. That's why scripture says it this way. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God does not deal in a worldly realm. It doesn't deal with food and drink. It doesn't deal with things that the physical eye can see, that your mind can conceive. The, the kingdom of God is about righteousness. 
It's about being right with God. It's about joy in the Holy Spirit, a joy that transcends this life and takes you into the next life. It's not a matter of eating and drinking. It's about peace between you and God. It's about being right with God. That's what the kingdom of God is about. 117 times the New Testament uses this phrase, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And every single time it uses it, it talks about this. It talks about God's number one objective, his number one goal being about the gospel, proclaiming it and carrying out the gospel promises. And now you're starting to understand what it means when we pray your kingdom come, how it is brought. How does God's kingdom come? Well, it's brought only through the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel. When you pray your kingdom come, what you're praying is this. First and foremost, that the good news, the good news about Jesus Christ and all of the goodness that it brings has an effect on your heart and in your life, that you experience the righteousness of God, that you know the peace of God, that you have and live with the joy of God. And then secondly, you take that, you take all of that and you carry it out to your community. You carry it out to your neighbor, to this city, to this state, that the gospel of our God, the kingdom of our God goes out into all the world. That's what this prayer is for. It is a prayer that God's gospel go out in the world, that it's established through the proclamation of the gospel. That's what the kingdom of God is. Now we're to the part of the sermon that this might get really disappointing for some of you. Because you see, I'll say it again, the kingdom of God has nothing to do with this life. It has nothing to do with worldly blessings. Jesus made that crystal clear. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. Paul said, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of anything in your life, but it is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy. When the scriptures speak about the kingdom of God, it has nothing to do with power. It has nothing to do with your popularity. It has nothing to do with your health. It has nothing to do with your wealth. It has nothing to do with you living an abundant life here on this earth. The kingdom of God has to do with your job opportunities. It has nothing to do with your good grades or your lack thereof. The kingdom of God has nothing to do with what you eat and drink, with what you wear or with your house or with what you drive. The kingdom of God and the king who rules that kingdom, he's about one thing. He's about the gospel. He's about the good news of Jesus Christ and the promises attached to that good news, the promises of salvation, the promises of life for those who believe in that. And this is where it's going to get pretty disappointing. Because for a lot of churchgoers, for people who want to be in that kingdom, Christians, who want to say they're a part of that kingdom. Well, they want the kingdom of God to be about more than that. 
They want to believe that praying your kingdom comes means Jesus Christ and his kingdom here is going to come into my life and he is going to give me victory over all the worldly things that are bugging me. What we want to do is pray when your kingdom comes that my life is better here and now. But God's kingdom is not about your life here and now. It's about another place. It's from another place. And here's what's going to make some of us very uncomfortable. Is that unless you are satisfied with what the kingdom of God is about, about the good news of Jesus Christ, about the gospel that he is here to proclaim and establish in the hearts of those who believe, your Jesus will remain for you forever too small if you're not satisfied with what his kingdom's about. Jesus Christ and his kingdom are here. He is bringing it. He is coming with his kingdom. And it is about peace. It is about righteousness. It is about the joy that you have in this life, which transcends this life and carries all of that into the next life. But if you are here, if you are living your best life, this life, and you are praying in your little kingdom that you want that king to come to your kingdom here and start to give you goodness and peace and joy and bring heaven on earth to you here, guess what? Forever your Jesus is going to remain just a little too small for you. You're going to look at your life and you are never going to have enough confidence in who you are and your identity. You're going to look into your life and you're never going to have the, the self-awareness and the freedom to actually go and forgive those who have done you wrong. You're going to be in this life and you're never going to be content with the car you drive, the clothes you wear, the body you have, or the house you live in. You're never going to be satisfied with the job you have or the paycheck that comes from that. You're never going to be at peace with the political climate that you find yourself in. You're never going to have enough friends. You're never going to find a church that has a good enough pastor, a good enough people, good enough programs to meet all of your preferences because here's what's going to happen. You're going to be living in this life. You're going to be praying according to this life and you're going to be trying to get this king who reigns in that kingdom to come into this life and make your life better. But guess what? Jesus Christ, his kingdom is not concerned with what you eat or drink. He's not concerned with the matters of this life. He's concerned with things that are bigger than this life. He's concerned with his gospel. Primarily, he is concerned with that first and foremost. That's going to disappoint a lot of us. Let me ask you this. What, what's the purpose of prayer? We're looking at some different questions about prayer, why we pray, who we pray to, what we pray in the Lord's Prayer, but what's the purpose of prayer? Oftentimes, we think of the purpose of prayer 
as to talk to God, as a means to get God to be active in our life, to get God to kind of flex some of his almighty power in my life, to get God to kind of do some of his divine authority and miracle work and magic in my life. We view prayer oftentimes as the way that we get God. We nudge God. We maybe move God a little bit in my direction because there's some things in my life that I can't do. Or maybe there's things in my life I can do. It would just be a whole lot better to have God come into my life and give a little bit of a divine nudge and get me going, get me started. And so we play, God, bless me, help me, give me in my life. But what if prayer was more than that? What if prayer was more than just about asking God to give me, help me, bless me in this life? What if prayer and its purpose was maybe just a fraction of it was for this life, but so much more of it was bigger than this life? What if prayer was like this? Prayer, prayer for this life was, was like being in the garage. And prayers for this like were like living in the garage, but attached to the garage was an eternal heavenly mansion that your God invites you to come into, to live in, to pray in, to be in. And yet because you and I live in the garage and pray and think according to the garage, we never even realize that there. And so we keep praying to God, give me, bless me, help me, give me in this life. We keep praying in the garage, if you will. And it's no wonder that we step back and we go, why isn't this working? Why aren't my prayers being heard? God, where are you in my life? All because we keep praying, God, give me, bless me, help me in this life. But what if prayer was bigger than this? What if prayer was more than just this life? Well, I'm telling you it is. In fact, God's word is telling you it is. When your Jesus taught you to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. What he was doing was inviting you, begging you to come into an entire mansion that is your eternal home in heaven. What he was calling you into was far more than just concerns and thoughts about this life. And if all you do, if all you understand and all you pray about is things in this life, God, give me, help me, love me, bless me in this life, you will forever remain in the garage. But the second you start to understand that what God is giving you in this prayer, your kingdom come, is not just a heavenly home, but the keys to the kingdom, the keys to the castle. That's going to start to change the way you look at prayer, and it's going to start to change the way you look at life. When you stop trying to look for heaven on earth, when you stop trying to look for love in this location that is only brought to you by the Lord of life, when you stop trying to define all your happiness and all of your peace based on what circumstances are going on in your life, but you start to look for them only in Jesus Christ, when you start to pray, Lord, earth has nothing I desire besides you. Lord, whom have I in heaven but you? When you start to think about the idea of God's grace, when you start becoming consumed 
by the gospel and what God is giving you for free in his message, well, he's going to give you the garage and he's going to give you a whole lot more than that because what you're going to find out is that your Jesus is not ever too small, but your Jesus is the Jesus who is larger than this life. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and he is giving you his kingdom. He has brought you his kingdom. It is the gospel. It is a gift for you. And what you're going to hear over and over again is that God is bringing gospel promises into your life that go well beyond this life. What are those gospel promises? Well, it's first and foremost, it's this. It's Jesus Christ driving a Mack truck of his forgiveness and his love down a one-way street and making a delivery on your doorstep. It is you standing under the Niagara Falls of Jesus' love and he is washing over you again and again all of his love, all of his righteousness, all of his joy, all of his peace. And as if you could go thirsty under a waterfall like that, he is bringing more and more on you so that you will always be satisfied. So that this idea of what the kingdom of God is will never leave you thirsting or wanting for more, but you will always, here are his gospel promises, you will always be confident of who you are, who your identity is, and what your purpose is in life because you are a blood-bought son or daughter of God. You will never find yourself wanting or lacking any, any physical gift because he has given you spiritual gifts that are treasures far greater than anything this world could buy. You're never going to worry about having enough friendship because the one who is the king of kings doesn't just call you subjects in his kingdom, but he calls you his friend. These are his promises to you. You never have to worry about finding peace in this world because he is the prince of peace and he has established a rightness with you and God and has put peace there in your life. You never have to worry about getting past pain points in your life or these circumstances in your life because this life is a blip on the map and he has called you into glory everlasting that does not fade. It won't spoil, it won't perish, but here is my gospel promise to you that I've brought you into my kingdom. I've given you keys to the castle and it is all yours. That's what your God is giving you here. Listen, as we wrap up, I want to tell you a little bit about what I'm praying for today. You see, when you seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and you start praying your kingdom come. That doesn't mean that God is automatically going to make your life on this earth a bed of roses. Christians who pick up their cross and follow Jesus know that. Things in this life aren't always going to be smooth. But my prayer for you today is this, that you realize that what you are given in Christ, the promises that you are given in his gospel, it's a state of mind. It's a state of mind that isn't a state of scarcity that you are always looking, needing, wanting more, but it is a state of grace that he has called you in where you are perpetually, forever, always standing in the love of the Almighty. What he has called you to is, in a, is a mindset where these things of this world, having things, are of no consequence to the things you already possess in him. The achievements, even great things like family, even great things like doing well in your professional life and, and doing great things serving him in this church 
do not ever hold a candle to the great glow of the glorious gifts that he has given you in the gospel. My prayer is that you know that you have a king. He is your good shepherd and he has provided all of your needs. His name is Jehovah. His name is the great I am. And he has given you everything you could ever need or want. And the first and the foremost is the salvation, the power of his gospel that results in salvation. My other prayer is this, that you and I stop mixing the thoughts of the kingdom. That you and I stop mixing thoughts about the gifts we have in God, the goodness we have in God with what we're doing here on this earth. Because oftentimes our prayer life reflects our plans where we want our road in life to be super smooth, to be maybe a little uphill, but all in all, a smooth ride. And so our prayers reflect that and this life. But what I hope is that your prayers reflect the plans that God has for your life. The plans that no matter what obstacles are in your way, no matter the valleys or the heights that you go to, no matter the rainy days or the storm clouds that come into your life, you know that your prayers are answered and you know where your prayers are answered. Your prayers are answered in Jesus Christ. Your prayers are answered in his name. For no matter how many promises God has made to you, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Listen, when Christians teach about prayer, when Christians talk about prayer, oftentimes they'll say this, how many different ways are prayers answered? They'll say that either a prayer is yes, no, or, or wait. But when you pray the prayer Christ taught you, and not just the words, but the whole idea behind your kingdom come, there's only one answer. All my prayers are yes in Christ. My prayers are yes or yes, I got something better for you in Christ. Because here's the truth. You have a Jesus. Your Jesus is a larger than this life Jesus. Your Jesus is a king and he has a kingdom and he is bringing it. He is bringing his kingdom and the gates of hell cannot, cannot overcome that kingdom. Here's our conviction that as Christians, we are standing in God's grace. We are standing in a state of God's grace forever. And it is our conviction that all of us who have that, all of that of those of us who are standing in that are already in the kingdom of God. And there's nothing that can take that away from us. There is no grief in life that can separate us and take us out of the kingdom of God. There is no sadness that can overtake our lives that can remove the kingdom of God from us. There is no persecution that can draw us away. There is no devil on this earth. There is no outward circumstance in this life that can take the kingdom of God from you. And that's why with the great reformer, we can sing these words and do what they will, hate, steal, hurt, or kill. Though all may be gone, our victory is won. The kingdom is ours forever. Amen. Amen.